What's up, guys? This is the 404 Forum, the show for Atlanta sports fans to sound off on the latest in the 404 sports scene. I'm your host, Isaiah, and I'll be here to guide you through all the triumphs and the tragedies of sports around the 404. It won't always be pretty, but I can promise you it will be fun. So ATL, let's talk. What's up, guys? Thank you guys for tuning in. This is the 404 Forum. I am your host, Isaiah Smith. I have my guy, Eric, on line one. He is here, ready to co-host for, for a full show today. We're talking some Falcons. We're talking Hawks. We're talking all Atlanta sports. Um, a lot of stuff going on around the 404. The Hawks are, you know, the hottest hottest ticket in town, I guess, right now. But when you think about the Falcons, the Falcons have a, a very full offseason ahead of them. Uh, so we're going to kind of start with the first part of it and start with the Falcons here. Um, you know, got some controversy brewing, if you will, for the, <laughs> on the Hawks side later. But we'll touch on that when we come to it. I'm going to start with the Falcons. Going to start and kind of start by reevaluating some things. So me and you both, Eric, I think have said, hey, the Falcons are a top-tier NFL job. You know, who wouldn't want to coach the Falcons? You know, but let's kind of start by reevaluating. And I just kind of, kind of want to put the question out there. Is that a true statement? Is this Falcons job a top-tier NFL opening? So – Here's here's my take on this is it is a top tier opening if you hire the right guy. And what I mean by that is, first of all, you're in the NFL. If you're if you're a coach, if you're a GM in the NFL, you're obviously doing something right. And and that's a top tier job. It doesn't get much better than that. But when you look at even I'd say uh, a place like Jacksonville or Washington, um, or, or New York even, like somewhere that's that's not doing too hot. I argue it is a top-tier job because if you go in there and you switch the program around, you have, you have a greater opportunity to make a difference than someone that steps into Kansas City because you're just more likely to wreck things if you go into Kansas City. So when you step into a job like a Falcons job, you have a good uh, a good groundwork set for you as far as you have players that can play, what you're looking for is consistency. And so I think you're looking at a top-tier job, a top-tier opportunity, uh, but that's with the right hire. Otherwise, this is just another another team that doesn't give you much options, you know? Exactly. I mean, you hit, hit the nail on the head. The right coach in everywhere will make a difference. Um, the Jets are a good job for someone. We don't know who that is at this point. But the Jets will be will be a good job. Someone's going to turn the Jets around. It may be in ten years. It may be next year. It may be in a hundred years. The Jets aren't going to lose fifteen football games a year forever. Um, and also, like you said too, being a football coach is about the best job you can get, in my opinion. You know, fired football coach is a top three job that I aspire to to hold one day, <laughs> if you will. You you can be really good and make a lot of money, or you can be really bad and make a lot of money on the back end of the buyout. So either or, and and like you said as well, the worst coach, the worst player in the NFL is still really, really a really, really good football player when you put it in the whole the whole scheme of things with the point whatever, whatever, whatever percent of high school players that make it to college and then the point or to division one to be in a true position to make it to the NFL for the most part. And then the point whatever, whatever, whatever of division one players that make it to the NFL. So the worst player, the worst whatever position, you know, kicker, punter, quarterback, whatever in the NFL, it's still an NFL player. And it's the same mm-hmm. thing for coaches. You're still an NFL coach, offensive coordinator, secondary coach, whatever. So, you know, I, I, 
on the surface, I I agree with you. Yes, you have a good base offensively. You got a former MVP, top five receiver in the game in Julio, a top five receiver core when you think about Julio and Ridley. Um, your O line is littered with first round picks. You got a young tight end, Hayden Hurst. He's poised for a breakout year next year in a lot of people's opinion. You know, you're lacking the run game, the offensive line consistency, but defensively, you got a top flight linebacker with Deion Jones, top three defensive tackle in Grady Jarrett. Got some young guys who can make plays in the middle of your defense and Foyer Luakon, Jalen Hawkins, AJ Terrell on the on the outside uh, corner. You're lacking pass rush. You need some safety help and another corner probably. Um, so what's not the like? You know, people say clearly it's the best four and twelve team maybe ever. I have beef with that statement. I don't think you can be the best four and twelve team anything <laughs> if four and twelve is a losing record. Yeah, they may be the most talented four and twelve team, but as far as the best, there's nothing good about being four and twelve. And I'm tired of hearing the narrative. So <laughs> let me start there, but. <laughs> Let me tell you, the deficiencies that just I just mentioned, the secondary, the pass rush, all those things, they're just exacerbated by the salary cap hell this team finds itself in with being $24.3 million over the cap. You're paying an aging offensive side of the ball, Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, Jake Matthews, who are still solid players, but you're probably paying them each too much. Um, and you're not in a position to move these contracts. You're not, you can say, oh, we're going to move Matt. We're going to flip Julio Jones for, you're not in a position to move these guys. And if you do move them, you're not going to get the compensation you would hope you you would want. Mm-hmm. You can't re-sign and afford the guys you already have who will be free agencies like Keanu or free agents like Keanu Neal, um, young way Koo, who will be a free agent, leads core in the NFL. You need him back to be a good football team. Also Rico Allen, he's making too much money. You're going to have to restructure his deal or cut him. And, you know, you're now you're down to almost no safeties. Essentially, Demonte Kazee, I believe, is a free agent. So you're down to no, no, no safeties. So really, you're unsure of how good your offensive line is. They were first round pick. They haven't shown it outside of Chris Lindstrom, who was the highest graded guy on the line. Caleb McGarry routinely gets whipped in pass pro. Jake Matthews is getting old and you got to replace your center, Alex Mack, probably. So. You could save money restructuring, cutting, whatever, certain guys, um, James Carpenter, Alan Bailey, Dante Fowler, who was a dumpster fire this season. Even if he was hurt, I don't care. If you're, if you're going out there, you need to make plays, period. Um, but even if that doesn't convince you, let me tell you about the mess of the front office that we're dealing with. You know me. I've defended Arthur Blank and talked about how good of an owner I believe he is, you know, for many, many times on this show and other shows and everything like that. But I'm going to tell you, Arthur Blank and Rich McKay in that press conference the other day, it was borderline sickening. It was off-putting. And it truthfully wasn't exactly what, what I wanted to hear being a Falcons fan or someone who's trying to watch this team from an analytical standpoint the way that we kind of do. Um, you know, they're speaking – they're so true to the brand and speaking about how the, these candidates are giving them an, an outside look at this team. And But that really just seems like a buffer to say, hey, guys, we learned a lot about ourselves in this interview process. Mm-hmm. So we're going to go hire a, a retread guy like Marvin Lewis or Todd Bowles to take this, take this team to the playoffs and get us where we need to be. And quite frankly, it's not going to happen. You're not going to hire one of those guys and get this team where it needs to be or where you expect to be. The fact is this team is not in a position to be a true, real contender anytime, in my opinion, over the next two to three years. And if the owner or whoever, whatever Rich McKay is to this organization, refuse, and they refuse to acknowledge that and allow a coach to really come in like a Joe Brady or a coach like an Eric Bieniemy, and kind of take his, you know, you're going to have to take some lumps next year. You're probably going to take lumps the following year because you're going to be able to shed off some of this dead money and get rid of some of these bad contracts and acquire draft picks, be it Matt Julio or some other guys, you know, and I don't not saying I want to see Matt and Julio leave, but it, there, it may be time. Mm-hmm. All good things come to an end. So 
first of all, just the idea that they thought they could pull a fast one or whatever they were doing, be loyal to the brand, whatever, and really make us believe this was a top tier job. When you have the the issues with salary cap and all the things that come with that, you also have the structure issue. What is who is Rich McKay? Why is he here? What does he do? He's Arthur Blank's guy, but what does he do? Why you know he was a failed GM. He hung around with the Dimitrov group. He wasn't let go with the Dimitrov and Dan Quinn group. Mm-hmm. I think he should have been gone a long time ago. And Arthur Blank's <laughs> loyalty to him baffles me. And then also Arthur Blank, you know. You remember when Dan Quinn first came in, Arthur Blank said, hey, I need three starters out of this draft. Yep. Somehow, Thomas Dimitrov and Dan Quinn put their heads together and found three quality starters in that draft. They found Keanu Neal. They found Deion Jones. They found um, another linebacker. I can't name school They found another linebacker, Devondre Campbell, who was a solid player. So, and they've you know, never replicated that since, obviously. <laughs> Arthur Blank isn't Sahid Khan. He's not a guy who wants roster control to the fullest, but he is a guy who stands on the sideline after every game, holds a Monday morning meeting with his head coach during the season. And to me, that feels a bit like micromanagement. It feels like you always got the, the, the head guy, the big guy in charge looking over your shoulder. We think it looks cool and cagey for Arthur Blank to be in control and be there. But if I'm a head coach, a first-year head coach or a new head coach, and I got to go sit down with the owner – after I blew a lead or after my guys didn't perform on Sunday or we laid an egg, it's a little bit unnerving. Cause you know, even though I have a leash, even though he's a loyal guy, it's unnerving. Mm-hmm. How, what do I say? What do I tell him? What's my reasoning? You know, that being said, I think that's why we're not a top tier opening and why I think some younger upstart head coaches may look at this franchise and say, you know, maybe there is some talent here. Maybe there is some good things that can be done here, but the cap situation, the lack of having feeling like you have total control, like feeling like someone's over your shoulder, you got to answer to Rich McKay, who's going to take what you say to Arthur Blank, and maybe Arthur Blank will come and talk with you. It feels like there's a middleman. None of that feels like an ideal scenario for a top-tier head coach or even GM looking to make his name and cut his teeth with the Atlanta Falcons. You know, McKay and Arthur Blank have a way that they're comfortable way that they like to do things, obviously. But the newsflash is, whatever their comfortability is, it hasn't worked. It, it hasn't mm-hmm. worked. It's not working. So we need some – the Falcons need something new. That Something new needs to happen. So I'm not saying the Falcons can't be a top job. I think you kind of hit on it and said they, they could be. But unless some things change, unless McKay loses some power at the top, in my opinion, or Arthur Blank takes a step back in some, some cases in the eyes of some people, I'm saying we're going to see a lot more of what we have. We're going to see a retread head coach. We're going to see the same types of stuff pretty soon after the hire, in my opinion. And you're going to be in this situation looking for a GM and a head coach pretty soon after. And that's unfortunate because I feel like this franchise, Atlanta's a city and a place where, you know, you should want top tier guys should want to come play. You should have top tier coaches wanting to come coach. And you can have a top tier organization, a top tier franchise, but it's a matter of truly and really getting, giving those guys the leash they need to go and do their job, which I'm not sure they have at all times. Yeah. No, I think, I, I mean, you definitely bring up good points that it, it's Falcons franchise is a dumpster fire. You, you look at a lot of the financial issues. Um, you could argue some of the talent issues, but once again, if you step into this job and you do it right, I mean, you're, you're going to be praised, you know, exactly. bringing the Falcons back, you, you know, it's, it's something that wow, like they're actually doing something. <laughs> you will, you'll, you will be lauded with praise, and the city will hail you as a hero, and you'll be that guy. 
But it's a matter of, is that guy going to look at this and say, I can do something with that mess? And like you thought about, you said the Falcons are a dumpster fire, but are they arguably the best dumpster fire in the league? And it goes back, are the Falcons just a microcosm of this season? Or is the whole Falcons organization a microcosm of this season? There are a lot of good things, but they don't all come together to make, to reach the success you want. I mean, and that's one of those things that I feel like you have to think about, you know, is are the Falcons, quote unquote, the best dumpster fire organization in the league right now? Here's the thing, though, is I want that guy. I want that guy to come in and step into a dumpster fire and say, I can take care of it. Because that's the kind of fire the Falcons need is someone that can step into a dumpster fire and put it out and move, you know. And so I think either we find that guy or we find basically gas for the fire exactly i think you find fuel or ammunition or you find the thing that's going to extinguish the fire and put this team on the right track so in thinking of finding hopefully the the thing that's going to extinguish the fire um you know they're interviewing a ton of guys for gm head coach all that stuff you know this process so far it seems like it's been long and drawn out and they've only been into it for about a week and a half but what do you, you know, how do you feel about the process? What's, what's your, what are your thoughts so far? I think the fact that we have so many people on the table, there have been so many interview, so many interviews. You've got a lot of potential. You've got a lot of candidates, and I think that's a good first start. Um, obviously, you have to weed it down. You have to look at um, what are the priorities of these candidates. What do, what do they see in the Falcons, and what do they want to cut? Um, I I think you can't be afraid of change and you can't hire someone that's just going to continue to do what the Falcons have done. Um, and I think some of the people that have interviewed would continue that, the, the just run of the mill job, you know? And so I think Mm -hmm. you have to make sure you're finding a guy that is ready for change and ready to extinguish the fire. Um, and, and I think we've got some guys out there that they've interviewed, but you never know until you put them in the driver's seat. Definitely. I think, <laughs> I think like you said, it's all about finding a guy and you kind of mentioned it, who has an idea and schemes and things he wants to do, but who's going to stick to his guns and, and really try to do the things he wants to do. And I think that starts the top with the GM hire, you know, Mm-hmm. I, that, this is my second bone to pick. Speaking about this process, you know, I get the Ro- <laughs> the Rooney Rule, and I get you have to interview so many minority head coaches and GMs, and I understand it, and it's it's all you know, it's a good thing for the game and for the league. I get it, but when the Falcons put out a press release every seems like three and a half hours that says, "Oh, we interviewed so and so, we interviewed this guy for GM. Here are his accolades. We interviewed this guy for this job." It's great. I'm, I, I like feeling like I'm in the know, but at the same time, it feels a little smoke and mirror to me. It feels like they're trying to pull a fast one on me. And mm-hmm. it's almost like they're saying, hey, look, we tried to get this top guy. We tried to get Ben. I mean, we tried to get Arthur Smith. We tried to get Joe Brady, but here's Todd Bowles. I feel like that's where they're setting me up to go. And nothing <laughs> against Todd Bowles. I think he's a quality defensive coordinator, very good defensive coordinator down in Tampa. I think he got a raw deal when he was the head coach of the Cardinals, I believe. He got kind of a bit of a raw deal. I just can't say that I want him as the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons right yep. now. You know what I mean? I don't want a defensive guy. I don't want a retread head coach. I want to try something new. And it's just annoying and almost a bit condescending 
I hope that's not the case. They're pulling a fast one or giving us smoke and mirrors or whatever because this team needs change. It doesn't need to erase every element of Dan Quinn possible mm-hmm. from the top down. It needs to be burned from this franchise, hopefully, aside from the Super Bowl birth, making it to the Super Bowl. <laughs> the storybook just needs to stop there and the rest needs to be burned. But nonetheless, you know, with all these people being interviewed, it feels like we're getting a lot of eye candy and a lot of, oh, look at that, look at this, look at that, look at this, look at that. And then we're going to be let down in the end in typical Falcon fashion, in typical Atlanta sports fashion. So maybe I we set ourselves up for disappointment here, but I just don't <laughs> like being tossed a bone every time someone new comes in the door. Now, as far as the process, I haven't been in the interviews, obviously. I've heard that Joe Brady killed his interview. I've heard Eric Bannamy didn't do a great job in his interview. So, you know, mm-hmm. just, you know, kind of depends on who you who you talk to, who you listen to, what sources you have. I'm not saying that I have any that are, you know, beyond normal media that we read, but nonetheless, it feels like we're getting smoke and mirrors to an extent here. Um, so just kind of looking looking down the road, you know, of the candidates inter- interviewed, who do you like for for the GM job and even looking down, who do you like for the head coach job? Yeah, so, I mean, when you, when you look at um, – Look at the the GM job. I think one thing you see is very clear is they're um, they're they're looking at racial diversity. Um, and I don't I don't necessarily think just having black or white is necessarily racial diversity. I think it's more racial diversity when you throw in maybe a Hispanic or, or uh, an Asian or something like that. Put a woman in the mix. You know, then I think you start to see diversity. But but like you said, I think when when we say, oh, we hired um, or we we interviewed 60, 75 percent black candidates, it's like, OK, cool. But but who's a winner? You know, and I think one of those guys that they kind of interviewed just to interview was Morocco Brown. Um, I, I Obviously, he's been in positions in offices before. Um, but when I look at his resume, I'm not necessarily impressed. Um, if I want someone that's going to win, I think you look at uh, Joe Schoen. I with the Bills, he I mean he turned that program, he helped the program around. I'm not going to say he did turn that program around, but you look at where they were um, three years ago in 2017, and then he stepped in in 2017, and three years later, I mean they're a uh, they're an arguable Super Bowl contender. Um, and then I'd also say um, Terry Fontenot, uh, which is with the Saints. I mean, you, anytime you're with the Saints, that's a um, a respectable franchise. Um, they put up some big numbers tonight. You know, they look good tonight. And Definitely. I think if you can have a guy like that uh, in your front office um, as your GM, I think I think you're setting yourself up for success. Um, with Joe or Terry I think those are the two guys that I really want to see um, put in the GM position definitely I Terry Fontenot is a guy that I, I think is intriguing I'm I like him coming I'd like to know more about his role if mm-hmm. you will coming from the the New Orleans Saints I um, know you know what he did in player personnel and kind of I'm sure that will be revealed to the people in the interview um, but if he was instrumental in putting together the, that team, the defense, and helping construct that offense, and 
you know, obviously Sean Payton did a good bit of the coaching, but getting those guys in the building, seeing the talent, identifying it, and then getting it to the coaches to be able to do something with, you know, I, I'm interested. You know, if you can't beat them, get them, pay them to come work for you. I, I'm interested, mm-hmm. and you'll hear me. You'll hear me say that again later in the show. Um, but as far as Morocco Brown, I, the Morocco Brown hire is interesting. He's the director of college scouting, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, for mm-hmm. the Colts, and that's an area the Falcons clearly had some trouble with college scouting. See. Multiple previous drafts under Thomas Mitchell, <laughs> but you know, looking at his the draft picks, and obviously the Indianapolis GM has a lot to do with this. But he, he's a guy who got Michael Pittman in the second round, got Jonathan Taylor, got Julian Blackman, who's a, I believe a solid safety for the team, and then also looking back in 2019, was able to get a bunch of uh, several other solid, solid guys who really came in and made impacts, if you will. You know, Paris Campbell from Ohio State, the player who's not the greatest player, but gets gets the job done. Um, and it's been able to do a lot, I think, to get the Colts to where they where they need to be. Um, also would have um, identified, I believe, Darius Leonard as well, who was one of the top um, defenders at the linebacker position. Um, I believe he came out in 2018. So I'm not against Morocco Brown. He's on my short list of guys probably near the bottom of my short list. But I do like him. Two of the guys, two guys I like, and I do like um, who you said from the Bills as well. Um, his name slips my mind, but I do don't dislike that idea. He's not a guy that I identified on my list, but I do I don't dislike it. But I tell you what, I do like the guys I do like are John Dorsey and Rick Smith. John Dorsey used to be the GM of the Cleveland Browns. He's the guy who really, if you want to look at it, got the talent in the building for the Browns to kind of flip the script and be where they are tonight up when we're at this point, 35, 16 on the Pittsburgh Steelers. (laughs) Um, John Dorsey drafted Baker Mayfield. He drafted, he was responsible for that draft. He can identify talent. He can identify it all over the field. See miles Garrett, who obviously looked, looked the part, but see miles Garrett, see some of those other guys he brought in on the defensive side of the ball. See Nick Chubb in the second round, all those guys, all those positions that they were, you know, the wide receivers, um, Richard Higgins, those guys they got in the middle of the late round. He's able to identify talent. Um, another guy I like, Rick Smith. He drafted Deshaun Watson. Um, you know, he saw a lot of when, you know, before the Texans made a bunch of moves and Bill O'Brien decided to, you know, plant a, a self-destruct device in the middle of the things and blow it up around everything. Um, he was a guy that was responsible for building and drafting that team. Um, either way, whatever we do, whoever is the GM – He's got to be able to see talent, and he's got to be able to see talent in the trenches, for that matter. Um, you know, make a solid up front. Make a solid, you know, on at the line of scrimmage, offensive and defensive. You know, Dimitrov had an eye for skill positions, but he struggled defensively and in the trenches. I need – I don't necessarily want a true grounded pound game, but we got to be able to run the football, and that starts up front every single time. Um, so, you know, talked about GM, head coach, you know, who are <laughs> – your head coach guys, the guy the guys you want the Falcons to to pursue, and who would you want them to hopefully hire for the head coaching job? So yeah, one guy you mentioned earlier that I really like, and uh, mentioned he they said he didn't do well in the interview. It's Eric Bieniemy. I him um, as as the head coach. Um, if we can't get him, I would also like to see Nathaniel Hackett, um, Green Bay's offensive line coach. I know it's an interesting choice, but at the same time, you, I mean, 
we've had major issues with the offensive line. Matt Ryan has gotten sacked, gosh, probably up to 80 times the past couple years. And it's, it, it's embarrassing. And it's no wonder Matt Ryan's not playing well when you're con- You could always argue you could just throw it up and Julio and Calvin are down there somewhere, but that's not going to cut it, you know? Um, so I would love to see one of those two guys as our head coach because I want an offensive-minded guy. Um, if for some reason, for some unknown reason, Atlanta decides to hire another defensive guy, um, I say we pick up Robert Sellot, the um, – the 49ers defensive coordinator or defensive coach. He's, he would be the one defensive guy that I would be willing and accepting of. But outside of that, Bienemy and uh, Hackett are the two guys on my short list. You, you said a lot of great things right there. I just want to go ahead and give you credit for that. And the two things I like the most that you didn't, <laughs> you did not name in your short list a defensive coach. And you did not say Raheem Morris should return as the head coach of this football team. The two things I, I didn't want to hear, and you, you passed the test. But nonetheless, come on, miss me with every defensive guy out there. If you're going to pick one, Sally's okay. Sally's okay. Brandon Staley, after what the uh, the Rams did last night, uh, maybe sign me up, but I'd like to see him do it again. But, I mean, they had a very dominant performance. You give him a guy. You're not going to give him Aaron Donald in the middle of the defense in Atlanta, but you're going to give him somebody close in Grady Jarrett. So, in theory, maybe Brandon Staley. But for me, my guys that I like in is the offensive head coaches. I've cooled on Bienemy um, after hearing some of the things that you know you hear about. Oh, the different things and different knocks that people have for him. You know, I've cooled on Eric Bienemy, but I still think he'd be a solid hire, a quality hire. Too many guys in the NFL that are well respected speak highly of him. But for me, I'm liking Arthur Smith, the offensive coordinator from Tennessee, more and more. He's, you know, he would require some mashers up front on offense, but he would totally reform the identity of this team, which is, I think, something that this team needs. Which the and the identity of Tennessee is, you know, they're going to run it with Derrick Henry and run it down your throat until you tap out. Now you're going to say, where is he going to find his Derrick Henry? Um, let me introduce you to the young man from Alabama. Najee Harris, who I think the Falcons could make a play for. And, you know, you're going to have to build your offensive line, but if you can get a guy like Najee Harris in in the second round, who knows? Maybe it works out. But I think Arthur Smith is a guy on my short list I really like, and not just for that, the idea of running the ball at people. Tennessee's number two in rushing yards per game. They're number five in total yards per game. They're great in the red zone. They're number three in total scoring. They, you know, have deep threats on the outside, and Corey Davis – um, who, may I remind you, will be an upcoming free agent. Maybe he's interested in, you know, making making some catches in Atlanta. Um, and also you have um, the other receiver on the other side who, you know, is they're phenomenal as well. But nonetheless, I also like Joe Brady. Um, I heard today, you know, was listening to a report from WSB, heard today that uh, Joe Brady killed his interview. Um, he, he nailed it, absolutely nailed it um, in Atlanta. So he is the one who intrigues me. He also scares me a little because he could be fool's gold. As an offensive coordinator in Carolina, Carolina didn't do anything exceptionally great this year. Um, He had some pretty good pieces but didn't do anything exceptionally well. Um, But Joe Brady also was the guy who was responsible for reforming LSU and kind of making them the juggernaut that they were. Um, You're seeing most of the guys that worked under him getting poached for 
for lower jobs, be it, um, you know, coordinator roles at colleges and things like that. So you wouldn't have, you know, the guy that he always had has had to work with his quarterbacks or the guy that's always been his passing game coordinator or those kind of things. Um, but, however, I I do think Joe Brady in his resume, what he did at LSU and has done with the Saints, it's going to translate. It's going to eventually be – um, you know, something you'll see in the NFL. I think he'll be a success. Um, and, I'll, you know, those are my two guys, you know, enemy being, the, you know, maybe not the third, but enemy being in my top three as well. But miss me with defensive guys, miss me with, you know, mm-hmm. with that noise. But I just want to see a hire made that's going to shake things up. I don't – and a new hire. I don't want to see Todd Bowles. I don't want to see us run it back with Raheem Morris for two to three more years. Nothing yeah. against those guys. We just need something new from – I think the fan base needs something new. I think the team needs something new. I think, you know, ownership, it would behoove them to see something new and also to see something new, you know, to see something new and also to try, you know, try it something new. Let this team progress, advance, and move forward. Um, so that's all we've got as far as – Oh, we got more. Let me – here's my – here's my uh, last little – last little snippet on why I won't be enemy. So – when you look at who Bienemy has um, on his offensive side, you've got um, a very athletic quarterback in Patrick Mahomes. You've got a a star tight end in Travis Kelsey, and then you've got um, you've got a, a speedy um, Tyreek Hill that can catch. If the Falcons can make a move, I think. If you hire Bienemy, Bienemy looks at a quarterback like Justin Fields, who is incredibly athletic, who has arm strength, who has talent, and you match him with a tight end like Hayden Hurst that, like you mentioned earlier, is hopefully going to have a breakout season. And if you have a healthy Julio, a healthy Calvin Ridley, and a healthy Russell Gage, I mean, that is an offense that is scary. Once again, you lack some of the rushing, uh, but I think you can find that in the draft somewhere. So that's my that's my dream. That's my my hope for the Falcons is uh, Justin Fields comes in, watches Matt Ryan for maybe a half season season, steps out in his second year in the league, and the enemy leads us to the playoffs. Um, I mean, that's an ideal scenario, and I like it. I really do like it, and I think you you hit on some good points there with the personnel similarities between Kansas City and Atlanta. But let me ask you one more question before we before we head out and move on to the Hawks. Um, let me ask you this. Drew Brees retires. The Saints are arguably in the worst salary cap position in the league, the absolute worst, about $100 million over, if I'm not mistaken. Are you are you going to get on the phone and ask Sean Payton to come be your head coach? Ooh, that is a good question. <laughs> because you heard me say before, I mean, I think him. it's worth a call. Pay him to come work for you. It is worth a call for sure. I, I mean, here's the thing: is if you're the Falcons, anything that is positive is worth a call. I, I, agree. you know, the worst thing. What are they going to say? The worst thing no? to tell you is no. Exactly. The worst thing to tell you is no. Why the heck not? It, it's it's one of those things. It's a far fetched idea. It's crazy on the surface, but maybe you need to be crazy to to, to make a change and, and get this team going the way you want it to go. Maybe the crazy idea is the one you need to try 
and maybe the crazy idea will work. I like it. I but, like it. I mean, it's just something to think about. Nothing that's going to happen, I'm sure. But again, it, it's one of those things that is it the worst thing in the world to ask? The worst thing to tell you is no. So that's all we got as far as Falcons talk for real this time. That's all we got. But uh, stick around. <laughs> I'm sure when the Falcons make a hire, we'll have a lot to say about that. And then especially um, as this process unfolds and if it gets even more convoluted and if it turns into you know, a dumpster fire takes some twists and turns that we're not expecting. So we're going to step away for a quick minute. But when we get back, we'll be talking to some Atlanta Hawks and tell you what's going on with this beef between uh, Trey Young and John Collins. So stick with us, and we will be right back. I'm Isaiah, the host of the 404. Forum. I'm 24, a reporter, and looking for my shot in sports radio. You see, Atlanta, to me, is the best city in the world, even with all of our traffic, crazy weather, and the sports collapses. You see, with this podcast, I don't want things to be about me, though. Instead, I want it to be a place or a forum, if you will, where you, the fans, come to discuss the good, the bad, and even the ugly about sports in the 404. You see, forums came from ancient Rome as a place for them to discuss the events of the day. As we know, Rome was a place with art, music, and sports, all things the 404 is very well known for. And if the ancient Romans needed a place to sound off on the issues of the day, well, let's just say Atlanta sports fans are long overdue for theirs. New episodes will be dropping weekly, so please be sure to listen, like, subscribe, and leave a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And be sure to give us a like on Facebook at The 404. And let me hear your thoughts, opinions, and even hot takes on the happenings of the 404 sports world. Remember, it's a forum, so we always want to hear what you have to say. What's up, guys? We are back. This is the 404. I'm Isaiah. I still got my guy Eric hanging tough. We are going to wrap it up here with some Atlanta Hawks talk here just to close down and, and kind of keep you guys on the page through the early going um, this season. Um, so, you know, first off, Hawks are sitting at four and five right now, I believe, through nine games or four and six through ten, whatever it is. Um, you know, the Athletic recently released a report about Trey Young and John Collins having, I won't call it a squabble, a, a, a discussion that maybe turned a little bit heated about Trey Young's play during a film session. So for you, what are you making of that report? And, you know, how do you see that playing out? I mean, I think you're looking at two guys that want to win um, and, and they just see how they're going to win differently. Um, I think John Collins is, has proven that he is a great athlete. He will be a phenomenal asset to any team, and he's proven that he's he's a starter on on most teams, and he is incredibly valuable to the Hawks. Um, and with that being said, I think he's being overshadowed by Trey Young because Trey Young is flashy. Trey Young's putting up numbers. Um, and John Collins is doing the dirty work. You know, he's in the paint. He's getting the rebounds. He's um, he's getting the putbacks. And I think this is just simply a couple guys that want to win um, and that know their talent and just see it coming different ways. I agree. I, I'm it, For me, truthfully, I'm taking it with a grain of salt for now. I'm not going to write it off completely and say, oh, there's no problem. Everything's peaches and cream in Atlanta, guys. 
you know, keep going about what you're doing. There's no problem here. I'm not going to dismiss it completely, but I'm also going to take it with a grain of salt. You know, it's one of those things that, you know, a lot of people, you know, Trey Young had a bad game a couple days before this thing, this story broke. Um, you know, it was the day that, you know, some idiots decided to storm the Capitol. You know, real life was happening. So I'm not going to hold that against Trey Young. Trey, you know, he's been trending toward a, a bit of a downward slump from the beginning of his year. And I, I think he's kind of hit it. Um, and so there's, you know, he's going to progress back upwards. And I think his play is going to be more up than it is down. 90% of the time but nonetheless getting getting to the point of of you know the complaints that were reported if you will um I see them from two sides you know number one John Collins is a guy that's looking to get paid if you remember he turned down a hundred million or right at a hundred million from the Hawks he wants to get paid he wants to show his worth to Atlanta or whoever's going to pay him that max deal um and to do that he's got to have a ball he needs he needs touches even though he can be a 20 and 10 guy in a marginal, getting the ball in a marginal capacity and doing a lot of his work around the rim with stick, back, stick backs and those kind of things. You know, a lot of people think those guys are a dime a dozen, and he, he's probably not going to be worth much more to many teams than he already has been to Atlanta. To be a max guy, he's got to be a guy that can take over a game, guy you can put the ball in his hands and watch him go to work. And so he wants to showcase that. He wants to showcase his ability. He wants to showcase what he can do. He's already done that to an extent. Um, and so he just wants to, to, to be able to do that, help the team win, but also showcase his worth. Um, also, you know, the things he mentioned in the, in his, you know, that were mentioned in the article anyway, I don't know that John Collins mentioned them specifically, but were mentioned in the article, you know, about Trey Young taking long jumpers early in the shot clock, you know, those things look great. They're exciting. If you're a fan and you're watching from the side, you know, they're great. They're exciting. It's fun to see, uh, you know, when they go in, they work for everyone, players included. But when they don't go in, you know, the, the statistical, you know, badness of those shots glares. Because if they don't go in, there's no offensive rebounding because most of your guys are somewhere between the three-point lines. There's no no rebounding on the, in the paint. Everyone's in transition running toward your basket. So if the ball takes a funny bounce, a long bounce, or even a, rebound, a normal rebound and a long outlet pass, the other team's in transition. They've got a full head of steam attacking the basket. And you really can't set your defense to stop them. And if Trey Young's the guy that's getting back, is that the guy you want back? The <laughs> worst, statistically the worst defender in basketball last year. Obviously, he, he's going to improve and get better. But three-on-one, Trey, with Trey Young being the one, I don't love those odds. So as a former player, truthfully, nothing made me madder or more disinterested than having to run possession to possession from, you know, foul line to, you know, foul line, because by the time you get to the foul line on offense, some guys already shot and it's taking a long bounce. By the time you get the foul line on defense, they've laid it up, so you're going the other way. Nothing makes makes you matter, and nothing makes post players matter than being having to do that, feeling like mm-hmm. they're just in there to rebound and then give the ball to guards and let the guards have all the fun. Post players need touches to make them fully engaged in the game. To slow They need to slow the game down because it gets them engaged in the game. It, it's one of those things. If you have a, a very good post player, if you take a bunch of long three-point shots, don't get them touches. Watch how quickly they become disinterested in the game. They don't run hard. They don't do what they're supposed to do. So I, I hear, um, you know, hear that, you know, this is this is what Trey Young does, and I understand. But I also hear John Collins as well. I hear his complaints, and I see why he's upset. I think they're going to be able to have a, find, a meeting, find a meeting ground in the middle. 
um, mm-hmm. because this is how teams get better. You know, talking, <laughs> discussing things, making changes. It's how things get things get better. They're going to be able to find a meeting of the minds in the middle. But also, you know, it's it's good to see these things come out and at a point of adversity and kind of see what's going to happen and, and see them fight through this and battle through and hopefully become a playoff team. I like that. And, I mean, looking forward, you know, hopefully looking forward, um, it doesn't become a major issue. Um, but also thinking about the way that we've seen things go um, with John Collins, you know, is this the beginning of the end for John Collins? I think that's one of those questions you have to ask. Think about the way things have gone. Turn down the $100 million extension. Are the Hawks going to pay him? I don't know. Um, you know, are the Hawks going to pay John Collins, or is this kind of going to be the beginning of the end in your in your mind? Yeah, I think I think one of the biggest things to look at is the Hawks are offering this man a lot of money. Um, the big question is when another team with a similar opportunity offers him the exact same amount. Does he go try something new? Or is he loyal to to Atlanta and loyal to the Hawks? Does he does he trust the process? Because um, I think the Hawks are on the verge of being a great team. Um, I think the four and one start. Once again, four and one start. Uh, we're not there now, but I think that start was a was a glimmer of hope. You know, I think that was a good place to look and say, all right. The Hawks have potential. We have the players. We have the guys. Um, we're young, but with this new with this new veteran presence, you know, we're gonna learn a lot. And I think part of part of this argument and part of the discussion between Trey Young and John Collins could have been because of veteran presence. Could have been because one of the older guys sees John Collins' frustration and says, "Hey, bring it up. Talk to him." You know. I think because that's what veterans do. That's what veterans recognize is that when there is an issue, someone has to talk about it. So I don't I think you've got to give it at least to the all-star break to see if it's the beginning of the end for John Collins in Atlanta um, and see how the season progresses, because if they start winning, if Collins starts getting touches, I mean, I think he stays. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The perfect way to dispel this this report, this rumor, the perfect way to make this go away is to have about a six or seven game win streak. Win about six yep. or seven games in a row, and no one's going to care that, that John Collins got in Trey Young a little bit. Who cares that Trey Young is the franchise? Who cares that Trey Young, you know, is the guy or whatever? You know, who, who cares? It is, win six or seven games in a row, nobody's going to remember that. We're going to be talking about, hey, you remember when uh, John Collins got in Trey Young? And they we lost a couple games after that. Well, they've won seven in a row now. What? <laughs> what? Why are we talking about that? It's stupid. But as far as you know, John Collins, you know, turning down a hundred million dollar extension earlier before the season started, you know, I'm I'm undecided. I don't know. I don't know if the Hawks are gonna. I don't think the Hawks are gonna pay him the max. Even with Giannis off the market and those kind of things, I don't think the Hawks are gonna give want to give him the max for that matter, unless they see Onyeko Kongwu as a major project type of player, not the guy they thought he was going to turn into. You know, Onyeko Kongwu was brought in with a similar skill set to John Collins as when John Collins left Wake Forest and first came to the league, into the league. Um, 
he does a lot of the same things. A you know, young, bouncy four man that can get up and catch a lot of lobs, really good in the screen and roll game. All you know, defensive minded more so than John Collins, and a piece that the, the Hawks think and their management thinks can score from all three levels. They think he can eventually translate his game from being a guy that mostly scores around the rim in the free throw line to out to the three point line. They think his game translate and his jump shot will translate. So there's also been some some chatter of the Hawks moving John Collins and another young piece for an all star, be it Bradley Bill, Pascal Siakam potentially, or someone else who whoever it may be. Um, but whoever they may want to bring in. But you know, right now I'm not predicting that he'll be traded or not re-signed. And also saying I wouldn't be surprised if he weren't. You know, yes, John Collins is one of the only players to average 20 and 10 and shoot 40% from three last year. Yes, he catches lobs. He seems like a perfect fit in the pick and roll with Trey Young. Um, yes, you know, John Collins, he, he's morphed into the modern four small ball five, which is so coveted in the NBA. A lot of teams will pay a lot of money to have a guy with John Collins' skill set. But also – if Onyeko Kongwu, you know, when he is healthy and can take the floor, um, your guy, Eric, you pick, you said the Hawks were going to pick him, and they picked him. I love that. But <laughs> nonetheless, if Kongwu shows that he warrants more minutes and is a guy that can come in and give a lot of the same production they feel like over, you know, an extrapolated period, can give more uh, or give, you know, Collins production, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Hawks say, hey, let John Collins walk. We got cheap. We got cheaper and we got younger with Onyeko mm-hmm. Kongwu, or if, you know, something persists, drama occurs, whatever, to move him or just not re-sign him and say, hey, it's okay, we got cheaper and we got younger. Um, so with all that in mind, again, not saying he's out, also wouldn't be surprised to see him walk or to see him be traded before this thing's over. But um, nonetheless, <laughs> to stop talking about speculation, what may be <laughs> or could be, um, what has happened is the Hawks have struggled. They've struggled recently. They started 4-1. and one. Um, so for you, what's to make of the recent struggles and, or, and did we overreact to four and one? I know you talked about it a little bit earlier, but did we just full on overreact to this team being four and one after five games? I mean, I think, yeah, it was a little bit of an overreaction. When was the last time you saw the Hawks do this? It was a while back. Um, when the Hawks get a good start, when any Atlanta team gets a good start, you get excited and you get your hopes up because you think, oh, we can do it this year. You know, but um, but but at the same time, you look at these past few, these past couple of weeks, the stretch. I mean, you've got um, Onyeka Kongu out. You've got Rajon Rondo's been out. Gallinari's been out. Um, Chris Dunn, maybe your best defensive guard, Chris Dunn, has been out. Yeah, I mean, Bogdan is now out. Uh, Tony Snell is now out. Like you, you're looking at all these guys that are either on COVID list or, or hurt and it's difficult to win when you're just crippled, you know? Um, so yeah, we still have the young core. We still have Capella. We still have, um, Trey Young, John Collins, Herter, Hunter. Um, like we've still got all these young guys that are going to make plays that are going to do well. I mean, it's not like we haven't been putting up 115 points, 120 points a game, but the biggest issue is we don't have, a defensive player out there. We don't exactly. have those guys that are scrappy, that are going to get the ball. Um, I mean, at this point, like, we just need a defense and we don't have that. Exactly. And you can't manufacture it overnight. It's the hardest part of the NBA game 
for young guys to learn. You would think it would be the offensive game, but it's not. It's how to get how to play defense without fouling and get stops when you when you need them. Um, and that's that's the key. Um, the you know Clint Capella you thought was going to be a, the a difference maker at the rim, and he has been at times. He's also like a bit of a misfit at times. Um, offensively, you know you've been hot, we've been cold. You've seen Cam Reddish, you've seen uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Trey Young all be torrid from behind the three-point line and be ice cold from behind the three-point line. And the biggest thing I think is they need to get healthy. You got to get healthy. You, you, you're you missing three solid defensive pieces in Rondo, Chris Dunn, and Onyeko Kongwu, who we think is going to be a solid piece. Gallinari's missed time, um, probably going to miss the next week or so. Um, Bogdanovich is going to miss time as well. Um, and also you got to develop an identity. Whatever this team's identity is going to be, is it going to be the team that's going to score 150, 200 points a night um, and try to try to beat you by score, just outscoring, by putting the ball in the basket more times than you can? Or are they going to be a team that, hey, yeah, we can score, but we can also get stops? Are they going to be balanced? How are they How are they going to identify themselves? What's going to be their calling card down the stretch late in games? Is it going to be, hey, we're just going to keep sinking threes when you, when you run out of ammo? Um, or are they going to be able to bow their back and get stops and say, hey, we can focus and get stops when we need them and, and you know, hold you down and do what we got to do? But also, I'm enjoying seeing the progression by the young guys. Kevin Herter looks like he belongs. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, DeAndre Hunter looks like a most improved player candidate. He's been on fire. Arguably the Hawks, maybe not the best player, but definitely the most consistent player, just judging by his performances throughout the early part of the season. Um, his game is kind of jumping to what we hoped we'd see from number six pick. And, you know, in his second, third year going forward, we I hope he can make that jump to be, you know, an even better player and keep growing. Cam Reddish looks like a, a solid three and D guy. Uh, you know, even though people hoped he would have star potential, I really do think his his role is going to be a three and D guy who can play in the pick and roll above average and exceptionally well and do a lot of a lot more things on offense than shoot the three, but also a guy who man, he can shoot the three and, pl- and play very good defense. And mm-hmm. also Nathan Knight and Skylar Mays are going to be solid pieces too that we just drafted. But I think expectations were unrealistic. People said this Hawks team can be a top three seed, which is ambitious considering you have Milwaukee, Boston, um, the Heat who made an NBA Finals last year. You'd have to beat out one of those three teams. And then you have to think about – or um, think about uh, the Pacers, Indiana – who's a very good team, Toronto, who still got a very, very good team mm-hmm. who won the NBA title a couple years ago and, you know, looks very good even without Kawhi Leonard. So you're going to have to beat some good teams. But I think the first step to being a good team is beating bad teams. You, Charlotte shouldn't beat you. Yeah. You can't lose to Charlotte. You know, you, you shouldn't lose to, you know, some of the teams that they've lost to who are clearly not as talented, don't have as much in, in the tank as they do. And would a full-strength Hawks team lose to those teams? Probably not, I, but, I, but we can't say that. we got to play with what's out there. you got to play with the guys who show up. Um, so I think health, for me, is the main thing. But also I think it's unrealistic to put some of the expectations that people have put on this team and, and Lloyd Pierce as well being a young coach and then expect them to – continue that throughout the course of a 72 game season so i i agree with that to a certain extent um because when you look at the the boston celtics team that they have right now that was a pretty young team i mean you're looking two three years ago um when they first started making that punch at um at the playoffs and then started getting uh, some fine, like getting in some of the finals conversations. I mean, you have to think Trey Young is 
Jason Tatum, what, last year, two years ago? He came only one or two drafts after Jason Tatum, you know? I, I think it's difficult to to just kind of let him off the hook, you know? I think we have to set that expectation of, look at what these young teams have done in the league, you know? I don't think you're like I don't think the age of these guys necessarily should play a factor because they have the offensive talent. I think where the breakdown is is that defensive side of the ball. That's true. The defensive side of the ball is an issue, um, in my opinion as well. But also looking at the teams that have, you know, been young but made those runs. If you look at, you know, Toronto who made the run or look at Boston who made the run or, um, you know, even Denver the past couple seasons who have made a run. The the thing that those teams have had that I, you can say that the Hawks probably don't have right now is they've each had a top-tier head coach. Brad Stevens is a top-tier head coach, yeah. whether you like him or not. Um, Nick Nurse in Toronto is mm-hmm. a top-tier head coach. He may be the – just as far as looking at the game, making adjustments and seeing – little quirky things that he can do, whether it be playing some kind of jump defense or hopping into a full-court press or doing something weird or different or mixing it up. Nick Nurse is a guy who's not afraid to try everything in the basketball repertoire to try to get a win, and I respect that, and I think it makes him one of the better head coaches, if not the best head coach when it comes to adjustments. You know, Mike Malone in Denver is one of the best head coaches in the league, you know, just being able to get guy, get the most out of guys, the things that he can do with the guys that are on his roster and letting Jokic do all the things he does as well. Um, I think that top-tier head coach is what this young Hawks team does not have. Is Lloyd Pierce a good coach? Absolutely. Lloyd Pierce is a very good coach, I think. It's kind of like your argument about NFL head coaches. If you're doing it at the highest level, you can be <laughs> the worst one there, but you're still a pretty doggone good coach. Mm-hmm. You know? So the worst NBA coach still a pretty doggone good basketball coach to an extent to somebody. But nonetheless, just because you know Lloyd Pierce is young too. Lloyd yeah. Pierce, I think you'll see him grow as this team grows, you'll see him take strides as this team takes strides, I think. And some people have said, hey, the Hawks don't look great in the half court. Well, think about, you know, it takes a minute for coaches to kind of see the game and, and understand what's going to work, what's not going to work. And hopefully you'll see Lloyd Pierce make improvements in the way this team, you know, the things he draws up and the way this team looks in the half court as well. So I do, you know, like you said, I'm not, I don't want to make excuses and sit here and do that for the Hawks because that's, that's not going to make them any better. But what I do think, people need to understand is that there's youth all around. It's not just on the court, on the sidelines as well. Boyd Pierce mm-hmm. is young too. So it's unfair to say, hey, Lloyd Pierce has done a terrible job and got all these free agents and he's got to go. Well, no, because Lloyd Pierce has never been a head coach before. He's a, he's a relatively young guy. Yeah. You know, are, are we going to give him a chance to, to cut his teeth and grow? Or is it going to be the typical, hey, get him in here, Oh, this young guy didn't. He's not. This young guy didn't do what Eric Spolster did, or he didn't do what Brad Stevens did, or Mike Malone, or Nick Nurse. Get him out of here. He's clearly not good. You know when, even though you know it's a Golden State scenario. Even though Mark Jackson wasn't young, Mark Jackson teaches that team how to play and gets them to right to an, the point of the NBA title. They fire him, and then Steve Kerr wins the NBA title the next year. Mm-hmm. I think I don't want to see that happen to Lloyd Pierce. Yeah. No, for sure. And I love, I love Lloyd Pierce. I think he's, he's a great coach. I think, um, I think one of the big things you mentioned earlier was the the Hawks don't really have an identity yet. Um, we keep talking about them being a young team, being a, a flashy team, but with all the moves that they made in free agency this year, I think you have to give them time. And 
I think that four and one was a great start and a great flash, but the biggest thing is that we've just been hurt. And once we can get over that, that hump of the, the injuries, I think you start to see a playoff Hawks team. I agree. I think you'll see a team that looks playoff ready and looks like a playoff team when they, the injuries, you know, they're healthy. And also when they start playing together, they, you know, teams need some time together to gel and to look like they, you know, they, they belong together. So I think when that starts happening, you'll see this team trend upward, but for now they're just trying to get by, you know, they're, they're dropping like flies and they just need to get healthy. Uh, and, And that's the main thing for me. But Unfortunately, that's all we've got and all the time we've got. Um, thank you very much, Eric, for agreeing to be on, even through some technical difficulties here at the beginning <laughs> in the middle of the show. But uh, always reliable, and you can rely on Eric to be there and, and not tap out on me too quickly. So thank you very much for your time. It's, it's always a good time on the 404. Definitely. Always a good time to talk to Atlanta sports. So thank you guys for listening. Be sure to check us out, like, subscribe, tell us what you want to hear, leave us a voice message, whatever you need to do, but let us know what you think of the show. Um, We're on, you know, all the major podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple podcasts, anchor, or anywhere else you get your podcast. So thank you guys for listening Um, and tune back in next week. We'll have another episode for you guys.